You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It was April 6th, 2021, and leaders of the Shasta County recall campaign were about to serve their formal notice of intent to unseat three county supervisors. We met some of the recall organizers in the last episode. Jeremy, the Christian music producer, Carlos, the militia member and bar owner, and Alyssa, the woman with a bullhorn. Here's Alyssa announcing the recall in front of the board of supervisors. Good morning, Supervisors Modi, Rickert, and Comenti. In a few minutes, you will be served an official notice of intent to be recalled. This recall is a course correction for Shasta County. It is not a witch hunt. It is a necessary performance appraisal. As leadership in this county during 2020, your position has been critically assessed, and you are being held accountable by us, the citizens. All in favor of a recall, say aye. Aye! And with that, more or less, the campaign to recall Leonard Modi, Mary Rickert, and Joe Comenti had begun. Or at least, that was the dramatic part. Next up, the paperwork. And that took effort. Over the next several months, organizers would discover that mounting their campaign was not easy. Volunteers and paid signature gatherers knocked on thousands of doors across the three districts to get enough names on their petition. There's times where there's a house every you know quarter mile with a long driveway and it's gated because this is like out in the sticks. And to gather over 7,000 signatures in an area like that took, I mean, these people were going out every night. They'd go out full weekends. You know, one person would go out for, say, like eight hours and come back with like five signatures and everybody's like cheering. It's like five signatures out of 7,000. That was Jeremy Edwardson, who you met in the last episode. As the producer of Red, White and Blueprint, he was filming everything for his Pro Recall YouTube docuseries. Both Jeremy and the Recall campaign were trying to raise cash for their tandem efforts. A lot of cash. And that's where Reverge and Selmo comes in. He's the son of a billionaire, a former Marine, and Hollywood filmmaker, and major right-wing donor. He sounds like a villain from a James Bond movie, right? But you can't make this stuff up. In this episode, we're going to meet Reverge, or at least try to meet him, and find out why he poured nearly half a million dollars into the Shasta County recall. What made this guy so deeply invested in influencing local politics in a place he no longer lived? 
And why do the rules of our democracy cater to people like him? We'll also follow the recall organizers as they mounted their campaign and went to great lengths to win. And boy, did they want to win. Even if the recall succeeded, would that be enough of a victory? This is Bedrock USA, a production of Bloomberg City Lab and iHeartRadio, a podcast about political extremism, small-town life, and the fight for democracy. I'm your host, Laura Bliss. Leonard Modi was one of the Shasta County supervisors targeted by the recall. I've talked to him a few times over Zoom to find out what it was like for him. He's a clean-shaven guy in his late 60s, and he has a somewhat Eeyore-like demeanor. But he doesn't mince words about the pro-recall activists who went after him and his colleagues. It kind of reminded me of the whole situation with the Nazi party in Germany in the 30s. I mean, that's how Hitler came to power. His group, you know, bullied, intimidated, threatened um, the people into silence. Leonard's stint as a county supervisor started back in 2009, after 25 years serving as a police officer in Reading, then six years as a chief of police. He's been described as a Reagan Republican, fiscally conservative, socially moderate, and an impeccable candidate for leadership. I hold my head high based on my performance and my integrity while I was in office. I think I tried to do what was the right thing. And for that, you know, I, I was attacked. When Leonard heard that the Shasta County recall was being bankrolled by Reverge and Salmo, he wasn't surprised. Reverge had been a notorious figure in local politics for many years. But Leonard was worried because he knew Reverge wasn't someone who liked to lose. My impression was he's someone who was used to getting his way from early on. His dad was very, very wealthy and uh, he got what he wanted when he wanted it. Real quick, here's what you need to know about Reverge. He comes from money. He's a son of the late René Anselmo, the guy who founded the Spanish-language TV network that later became Univision, as well as a satellite company. Reverge's mom, Mary Anselmo, made it on to Forbes' 2008 billionaire list. Reverge grew up on the East Coast, served in the Marines, and fought in Beirut. Then, along the way, he became a Hollywood movie maker. Eventually, after moving around a bit, he arrived in Shasta County in the late 2000s with his wife. And how did he pick Shasta, you might be wondering? Have a listen to Reverge. He's featured in episode two of Red, White, and Blueprint. My horse. I had a very good bond with the horse. So I bought the ranch. I bought it in California, not because I'm a fan of California, but I, I always knew if I had to get rid of it, I could. California, so I can dump it. So I only bought California because of that. And because I'd looked up, Shasta County was reported to be 67% registered Republicans. So I said, at least I'm not going to have to deal with any craziness up there. So let's go. First of all, that music, man. Jeremy clearly got the powerful son of a billionaire memo. And second, did you catch that? Rivera says he moved to Shasta because it was majority Republican, and he wouldn't have to deal with anything crazy because of that. If only. Anyway, Rivera bought 1,200 acres near Shingletown, 
a place named for the roofing slats made there during the gold rush. I'm telling you all this because of what happens next. Ruberge wanted to turn the property into a winery, restaurant, and ranch. But when he went to prepare the land and build the structures, Shasta County notified him that he had failed to secure some of the necessary permits and that now he needed to pay a fine. But instead of getting the permits and paying the fine, Ruberge sued, insisting his property rights were being violated. But it all sounds very small potatoes. I did no wrong with Shasta County. Shasta County joined the team to try to beat up on me on the pretext of an $80 grading permit violation, which everybody in agriculture knows you don't need a grading permit to work a pasture. That was him speaking in 2012. This battle went on for years, escalating through the courts, with the county serving up its own legal complaints. County officials told Riverge that since he didn't have permits, he had to stop construction work on a private chapel he was building. So Riverge sued again. This time, he said, his constitutional rights, his right to religion, were being violated. Today, I filed in the federal court on the Amendment 1 violation of what that means to red tag a private Catholic chapel. I said to the guy who was doing it, you understand that's an establishment of religion, right? You understand you hang a a sign on it, you're about to breach the First Amendment. There's no problem, you have no problem understanding English, do you? I said, no, but I'm just doing what I was told, you know. Now, you might be wondering, why would anyone escalate such a seemingly minor dispute into a drawn-out legal crusade? Well, it helps to remember This was the early 2010s. Tea Party politics were roiling the Republican establishment across the country. And so, like much in this town, Rivera's battle became a political spectacle, pitch perfect for Fox News. Ann Coulter even showed up at one event to support Rivera. The local Tea Party organized a petition to back his cause. They held rallies at his chapel, carrying Don't Tread on Me flags. Here's one supporter. And I would ask you all to remember that this is not about Rivera's and it's not about this one church. The system works fine when the people we elect are doing their job. What is happening now is you have a Shasta County Board of Supervisors who is not doing their job. They are Leonard was dumbfounded by all this. In his mind, the county was trying to help Rivera's get his project built. And Rivera's fury seemed way out of proportion with the original citation. So we tried many times, several times, to try to resolve it with him. But I don't know why he chose not to. If he just was mad, if he was getting bad advice, if he was just being stubborn about it, if he thought maybe he just had more money than he needed to spend on a lawsuit, I'm not sure. Whatever the true reason for his fight, Rivera's finally lost. In 2013, a federal judge sided with Shasta County. And in a settlement the following year, Rivera's was made to pay over $1.3 million in legal fines and fees. I really wanted to know why Rivera's fought such a long and costly battle. So I tried to contact him, but I never heard back. After he lost his battle, Rivera's winery and restaurant stayed open for a while. 
but he eventually sold the property and moved back east. Nowadays, according to campaign filings, it appears he's based in Greenwich, Connecticut, one of the richest cities in America. His family estate, modeled after Marie Antoinette's cottage at Versailles, went on the market in 2021 for $32 million. But that wouldn't be the last Shasta County would hear of him. That's coming up after the break. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common... It's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Long after he left the Shasta County spotlight, Riveras continued to play a powerful role behind the scenes. Former Shasta County landowner Riveras Anselmo just dropped $100,000 into Jones' campaign war chest. Connecticut billionaire Riveras Anselmo's $100,000 donation to now County Supervisor Patrick Jones remains the largest single donation in county history. You heard in the last episode about Patrick Jones, a local politician who decided to run for county supervisor in 2020 on a message of reopening Shasta. Riverge got behind his campaign and kicked in $100,000. That is a staggering sum for a local candidate, according to Leonard. Someone giving money like that into a national election might be one thing, but in a local election like Shasta County for just, you know, one district, keeping in mind back then most of the campaigns spent maybe somewhere between thirty to 50000 total to run for an office. What it showed me was he was willing to spend a heck of a lot of money to try to change an election. Just think about it. The entire population of Shasta County is about 180,000 people. District 4, where Patrick ran, has less than 40,000 people. So Riverge alone provided two and a half dollars per person for Patrick's campaign. Patrick won, and Riverge wasn't finished. In August 2021, he contributed to the PAC that had formed to support the recall. His first donation, 
$50,000. A cloud of dread hung over Leonard Modi. With all this money flying around, it felt like anything could happen. But again, when you have that much money and that much airtime and that much resources, you can tell a lot of lies. It's pretty hard to defend. Rivera's massive infusions of cash into these local campaigns in a community where he no longer lives begs the question, why does our system allow this? I needed an expert to break this down for me. I'm Jessica Levinson, and I'm a professor at Loyola Law School, and I teach uh, constitutional law and election law. Professor Levinson explained that when it comes to campaign finance limits, the Supreme Court has decided that money equals speech. So I think we've essentially legalized a lot of what we might view as corruption or even bribery in our country. We've legalized a system where because money is speech, money can speak very, very loudly. So it was, again, about half a century ago, back in 1976, that we decided, and by we, I mean the Supreme Court decided that because you need money to reach the voters, that money should be treated as either speech or speechy. And therefore, when you try and limit that money that's either going to a candidate or going to an outside group or going to a political party or being spent by any of those individuals or groups, that we would have to analyze that as if it was a limit on somebody's speech. That means it's really, really difficult to have any sort of campaign finance in this country. In other words, a person who decides to make a donation to a PAC, even for a campaign thousands of miles from where they live, is akin to that person writing a letter of support for a politician or attending a protest against a law they hate. And you can't prohibit that. So Rivers was pouring money into the recall campaign, and he was also giving money to Red, White, and Blueprint, which was helping spread the word. But despite the steady flow of cash, the recall campaign was facing an uphill climb. It was tough for organizers to get all the signatures they needed. Canvassing houses in a big, spread-out county like Shasta was a lot of work. None of the organizers had any idea if they'd be able to win, Jeremy told me. Quite the monumental task, much harder than we ever thought. Hard enough that, in the end, the recall campaign failed to collect all the signatures they needed by the required deadline. So the campaign requested more time, on account of, they said, wildfire smoke impeding their collection process. That request was denied. So the campaign filed a lawsuit against the county clerk. The judge ruled against them, saying the group had not provided concrete evidence proving their hardships. Then, finally, in October 2021... The Shasta County supervisor recall effort will move forward, but only for one of the three targeted supervisors. The group... Recall Shasta was only successful in gathering the required signatures for one of those three, Leonard Modi. It was official. An election in February 2022 would decide whether Leonard Modi was going to be recalled. The other two supervisors, Mary Rickard and Joe Comenti, were off the hook, at least for now. That seemed to be a pretty big setback to the recall campaign's ambitions. And it was. But I want to emphasize 
that the stakes were still high for the future of Shasta County. Because remember, there were already two supervisors on the five-seat county board who were sympathetic to the far-right movement. To have a majority, the recall campaign only needed to unseat one supervisor and replace him with one of their own candidates. So taking down Leonard alone meant that the far right still had a shot at taking control of the county and carrying out their constitutionalist agenda, or whatever it was that meant. And it wasn't a coincidence that they'd honed in on Leonard. He made for an especially good target, Jeremy told me. Besides some of the questionable things that he had done, it, there was a, a brashness and a, a real arrogance to his demeanor in the board chambers. I'll get back to where that perception came from in a second. But here's another reason Leonard might have made an easier target. He'd been sitting on the board of supervisors for a long, long time. All the way back to the time of Reverge and Salmo's beef with Shasta County. So the stakes got even higher in November 2021, when the recall campaign received another huge donation from Reverge. $400,000. That brought his contributions to the recall to nearly half a million bucks. And it more than quadrupled the amount the campaign had raised so far. In its final months, they were able to spend nearly $100,000 on radio ads alone. They blasted their message of restoring local government across TV and Facebook, day in, day out, to make sure voters heard. The TV airwaves were flooded. Sinclair Broadcasting Station, Channel 7, flooded with these ads. Um, Radio stations flooded with these ads. That's Donnie Chamberlain. She's a founder, publisher, and one of the journalists at a news cafe, a local news site. She's made it her job to document everything going on in Shasta County, where she's lived almost her entire life. I wanted to talk to Donnie because she's been covering the recall closely, unpacking the county board meetings in enormous detail. She really knows her local politics. Hi. Hi. I'm Donnie. Laura. Earlier this year, my producer Kathleen and I met Donnie at her home in Reading. Oh my gosh, your home is so bright and inviting. A craftsman bungalow with an immaculate backyard. There's even a treehouse where she likes to sip her morning coffee. Donnie started a news cafe in 2007, after she was laid off from her longtime columnist gig at the Reading Record Searchlight. She thought her news site would be a mix of local stories and articles about cooking and gardening. But the rise of the far right has redefined her work. She's relentlessly covered the recall in an oppositional, alarm-raising way. She calls the recall activists the Shas Taliban and compares their campaign to a hostage situation. Donnie is an out-and-proud liberal, an anomaly in this town. But she's also a trained reporter, and she knows how to fact-check. And she says the recall campaign ads were dishonest. You know, before we'd use more polite terms like, you know, a campaign based on misinformation. No, it was a campaign based on lies. There were other mistruths, Donnie said. And at the very end, they just threw out like everything, you know, to stick to the wall. They did a 
the Photoshop of Leonard Modi in a, with a king's crown and a scepter. And... Jeremy mentioned this earlier, this image of Leonard as arrogant and authoritarian. It was an image that the recall campaign cultivated, based on some real things Leonard had done. It all sounds pretty petty, but bear with me as I walk you through it. It's worth knowing and understanding because it had a real impact on voters. One issue stemmed from how Leonard behaved during the car fire, which broke out in summer 2018 and turned into one of the largest wildfires in California history. After the fire, Leonard had gone with a sheriff's escort to tour restricted areas, areas that had burned, to check how homes and businesses in his district had fared. On a few of these official tours, he stopped by his own house to refuel his generator. Two years went by. Then, in 2020, a resident filed a complaint to the county. It said Leonard had abused his power after the fire by checking on his own home while out on official government business. And while this might not have been much of a scandal in a normal year, this was during the run-up to the recall campaign. Anti-government outrage was running high. So the complaint went to the Shasta County Grand Jury, a group of citizens appointed to make decisions about civil matters. In May 2021, the grand jury found that while Leonard hadn't broken any laws, he, quote, took advantage of the situation. After that, the county board voted to censure Leonard. He apologized, but he still maintains he didn't really do anything wrong. He thinks the whole complaint and the fact that it went to the grand jury was a setup to discredit him. So I think that this was all part of an effort by certain people to try to pull together a, a damaging campaign to hurt me as well as the other supervisors. So the car fire was one thing that the recall campaign harped on. Another big sticking point was how Leonard enforced meeting rules when he became the chair of the Board of Supervisors in 2021. Remember, by this point, county meetings were loud and angry. And Leonard, an ex-police chief, didn't shy away from trying to restore law and order. To avoid the hours-long parades of outrage, he changed the format so that public comment was split into two segments, and he cracked down on the three-minute speaking limit. The problem was, playing cop didn't make him look so good, especially since they were recall supporters who refused to follow the rules. Please so, step away from the microphone. If you can finished. answer, you are if you can answer, if, if you, you receive finished. those funds, if you then don't you step have the away right. From the microphone. Would you like to remove me? Okay, Please remove me. That was from a pro-recall ad that Red, White, and Blueprint put out, portraying the aftermath of Leonard's rule change. It made him look like a repressive dictator, even though everything he was doing was in his authority. I'm telling you all these excruciating details because I want you to know what people in Shasta County were hearing when they learned about the recall. Voters were hearing Modi wasn't a true conservative, that he didn't care about the common people, and that he was personally responsible for things that voters didn't like. Even though, Donnie said, that just wasn't true. Because I know when I would go out to these protests and rallies 
And I would interview people on, you know, Facebook Live and I'd say, tell me why you want Leonard Modi recalled. Well, because of our homeless problems. That really has nothing to do with Leonard Modi personally. What else? Well, because our kids have to wear masks. Well, that has nothing to do with Leonard Modi. That's a school decision. Well, the hospitals are demanding that nurses be vaccinated. Well, that has nothing. I mean, one after the other. And then I would watch people with clipboards wade into the crowd and say, hey, are you sick of your kids having to wear masks? I sure am. We'll sign here. This is why we want to get rid of Leonard Modi. Hey, do you believe in the Constitution? I do. Leonard Modi doesn't. That's why we're trying to get him recalled. And I was, that was a pivotal moment for me when I stopped believing in recalls. I mean, honestly, if I were going to a store and somebody had a, you know, a petition, you know, to end cancer, I would be suspicious because the person holding that clipboard can describe it however they want. And nobody ever comes back to that, to that person who signed and says, do you remember the exact words that that person holding the petition used to entice you or encourage you to sign that petition? And they probably just sort of a blank look and like, well, no, I just, you know, didn't want Leonard Modi anymore. Very general. And that's why, to me, it's a dirty, nasty recall. Donnie's rant made me wonder, again, why do we have a system that allows for this kind of talk? Well, according to the constitutional law professor you heard earlier, campaign ads, even dishonest ones, generally fall under perfectly legal free speech. Here's Jessica Levinson again. We allow for misrepresentations. We allow at times for lies. And unless it gives rise to a claim for defamation or false light, we're more comfortable living in a world in which we allow the truth to rise to the top by having a vigorous debate as opposed to silencing speech that we sometimes might agree is a lie, or some judges might agree and other judges might not. But in Shasta County, this misinformation had an impact. And so did the behavior of some of the recall's most ardent supporters. How that affected Donnie and voters after the break. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. 
they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. There were people who believed the claims they heard from the recall campaign. There were also people who didn't. But very few were willing to speak out against the far right in Shasta County. Why not? Because at this point, for the people who were paying attention, a lot of them felt afraid. People are, I think everybody is afraid. Law enforcement, everyone is afraid of what could possibly happen because Carlos... You know, he says he has thousands and thousands of supporters. If you look at his red, white, and blueprint page, you'll see people from all over the country. And some of the death threats against Leonard Modi, hey, we'll come out. We'll fly out from Montana. You know, we'll bring our own ropes. We'll, you know, I mean, violent, horrible things like that. So, you know, you don't know when somebody has violent rhetoric where the rhetoric stops and violence begins. When Donnie speaks of violent threats, She's also speaking for herself. She recently installed a security system in front of her house because she herself has become a target. For instance, a few months before the recall election, she was at the courthouse to cover the trial of Carlos Zapata. Carlos is the man she just mentioned, the man who became the face of the recall movement after his threatening speech in August 2020. I'm going to spare you the details because it really gets into the weeds. But you just need to know that Carlos got into a fight with a recall opponent and was tried for battery and disturbing the peace. What I want to highlight is what that was like for Donnie. She describes being verbally abused and harassed by Carlos's supporters. Just listen. Guy turns around and he goes, are you Donnie Chamberlain? I said, I am. And he said, you're a piece of shit. And he's a very menacing looking guy. In fact, he was the guy during the arraignment who pressed his body against me in the courtroom, full view of bailiffs, and was leaning over to look at my notebook. Um, In retrospect, I should have just flagged down a bailiff and, and reported it, but I was embarrassed. The intimidation continued when she went to cover a protest in support of Carlos. One of Donnie's friends stood by her for protection and offered to walk her to her car. She felt grateful for that, but also conflicted. And I was just felt like, oh, man, I was grateful. But as a woman, um, you know, a grandmother, a 65-year-old journalist who's been doing this for 30 years, it kind of broke my heart because to have to have, you know, another air quote, to have a man, and, and he's a sweetheart, he's a great guy, have to walk me to my car because he didn't feel like it was safe. And frankly, I wasn't so sure it was safe either. That atmosphere of fear, it wasn't just Donnie feeling it, or a handful of her fellow liberals. Anti-recall voters on both sides of the political spectrum were nervous to make posts on social media, to put out yard signs, or even to make donations to Leonard's campaign, because that would mean putting their names out in public business owners were afraid of the same things and of losing customers. But despite the threats, Donnie persevered. 
because the stakes in her mind could not be higher. If the recall campaign succeeded and put one of their own in Leonard's seat, she truly expected the end of the rule of law. In some ways, I kind of feel like it would be kind of a really awful experiment, like, you know, bring your popcorn and just watch what's going to happen, because um, I have no clue what it would look like after if there was a major takeover of all the departments in Shasta County and department heads were fired and the rule of law went into the, you know, the garbage bin. If all that happened, she said, the impacts on residents, especially marginalized communities, could be sweeping. Well, you know, public health takes care of our most vulnerable populations, people who are low income, homeless people, mentally ill people. And there are all kinds of programs that protect those people or do the best we can. But then there are school boards, for example, I mean, and issues about LGBTQ plus populations. A lot of these people on the pro-recall side are also Christian nationalists. And so it's kind of every aspect of, you know, modern civilized life. Donnie believed that if the recall succeeded, Shasta County was primed for a makeover, a makeover based on the agenda of the far right. Her hometown, it seemed, was fertile ground for a wholesale transformation. I feel like I'm on a speeding train and uh, there's no stop ahead that I can see, no little depot to get off. And so I'm just going to ride it until something stops me or until things calm down and, you know, it runs out of steam and things get back to normal. And um, I almost feel choked up saying that because I used to kind of complain about Shasta County a lot, you know, for various reasons. And now I just want things, I feel like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, I just want things back the way they were. We said goodbye to Donnie after spending a few minutes in her treehouse. This is like my dream. Yeah, so you can, I've actually had meetings, business meetings up there. It's like, that is amazing. I have a friend who calls it the therapy tree. The place she goes when she needs to cool off to gain some fresh perspective. How often do you actually go up here? All the time. <laughs> when the weather's nice, I come out here in the morning with coffee. Yeah, it's just something about being in a treehouse, you just feel different, like you're in a different place. <laughs> and I thought about what she said. She was speaking to a feeling that I think a lot of people in the U.S. have. This feeling that, in the last six years, we veered off onto some kind of alternate timeline. A timeline where basic things like neighborly kindness seems like a quaint artifact of the past. Where political messages matter more than the truth. And where the drive to win is more important than the good of the country. Reverge and Selmo sure wanted to win, and not just the ill-fated lawsuits he'd mounted years ago. He wanted something bigger. So what was his target now? He actually gave a partial explanation in episode two of Red, White, and Blueprint. You can take over your own government. You can fire it all. If, uh, if you're successful with Patrick Jones, recall three supervisors, eliminate the whole resources management division, which has no resources. Yeah, if you did that, I'd go back. In other words, he was saying, the supervisor recall might only be step one. If the far right managed to gut the local government, 
Reverge might personally return to Shasta County. Which side would win? And if the recall actually succeeded, what would happen next? That's next time on Bedrock USA. This episode was reported and hosted by me, Laura Bliss. Kathleen Quillian is our senior producer. Samantha Story is our story editor and executive producer. We had additional editing help from Nicole Flato and Francesca Levy. Original music and scoring by Zachary Walter and audio engineering by Blake Meeples. Jennifer Sondag is head of Bloomberg City Lab. Bedrock USA is a production of Bloomberg City Lab and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.